Jojo is out in Idaho uh, this weekend. And uh, speaking of Idaho, welcome to all of our live stream families, right? Praise the Lord for them. That's exciting stuff going on out there. Uh, today we are going to we'll turn actually to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the title of today's message is How Friends Impact Our Lives. And there's a specific uh, group of uh, scriptures I want to uh, go look at. But um, before we even get to that, and it's a small part, I, it's of chapter 4. And it's of great importance uh, if, we, if, we look at the, if we look at the context of what's going on in 2 Timothy, the book 2 Timothy, which is a pastoral epistle, Paul writing to Timothy. And there's a lot of things in there that we'll look at that we have looked at throughout the years and that maybe you haven't had a complete understanding of Paul's heart, his situation, uh, the, the situation and the reasons that are things that are said and how they're said. And maybe they'll even be amplified when you understand. <clears throat> but Paul, in 2 Timothy, Paul is in prison. Okay, and it's, this book is written shortly before his death. So all these things are important to understand. He's in prison. Paul, it's shortly before his death that he writes this. And when we think of Paul and the epistles that he, he wrote, uh, one that we think of is Philippians. Because when he wrote the book of Philippians, where was he? In prison. So he was in prison at the same time. And we look at, it's pretty much accepted and understood that the general understanding or the theme of Philippians that you can really find jumping off the pages is joy. Joy. While he's in prison, he's writing about joy. And so in 2 Timothy, is a little different because there's a sense of finality in this, in this epistle. It, he begins to talk about things in, a, in, a, in an incredible way, having to do with ministry, having to do with life in general. And you see, the first time when he was in prison, he, was, he had visitors. Visitors would come. It was pretty much easy. But the second time around, it was pretty much, it was difficult to have people visit him. He's locked away in a dungeon and doesn't have access to his friends, to companions. So now we get an idea that, okay, Paul is locked up and he's not in general population, as uh, Brother alluded to. Uh, he is locked up in a dungeon and he doesn't have access to his friends. His friends don't have that, that access. It's not easy for friends or people to visit him. So the situation with Paul is he had his, a hearing and this first hearing that he had didn't go well. So he's here in prison again. And this time he's locked up in a more dungeon type situation. And he can't have visitors. He was, they have some religious charges against him. And they knew that these religious charges weren't going to hold. So they trumped up some more charges. Or they changed them. They turned them into an insurrection against Rome. So now that changes everything. But you see, the Apostle Paul, it didn't go well in that, first, uh, in, that first, in that hearing that he had. The fact that they were going to change these charges from a religious charges to an insurrection against Rome was a big deal. Because it affected not only him, but those around him, his friends, his companions. You see, if Paul is found guilty, then his friends who maybe want to visit him, that hang out with him, can be, you know, maybe guilty by association. So there's an in, imminent danger for his friends. 
And that causes something among his friends. And so today I want to look at what Paul says, how he says it, the heart set that he has when he says it. Along with that, thinking about ourselves and the friends that we surround ourselves with and the things that we're going to go through in life and whether our friends will be there or not, how they'll be there, who will be there. And so we look at this, at Paul, and you see Paul in this, in this trial that didn't go well. Imagine this. You ever see the movies and there's court scenes? And it's a slam dunk. You know what's going to happen. And they're, they're, the, they're, the lawyer or the attorney's asking the questions and they're answering, boom, boom. Look at this guy. This, this is false charges. This guy's going to be cleared. Easy, easy, easy. Then the uh, prosecuting attorney gets up and they cross-examine him. They trip him up, they change it, or something goes wrong, and you're like, oh, no. It just flipped. We thought for sure. Innocent. But now things changed. Well, this is what happened with Paul. It didn't go well. You see, Paul realized something at that moment during this time. He realized, this isn't going well. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose this trial. I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to be put to death. And they throw him in prison. He doesn't have access to friends. And so now he writes 2 Timothy. And when he writes 2 Timothy, behind it is this guy who's been abandoned. He's, he knows his death is imminent. The charges against him have been changed. And it's affected those around him and his friends. So imagine yourself if you, in life, are writing your, let's say, last letter to your friends, your family, to ministry, about life, about ministry, what are you going to write about? How are you going to write? Well, you know your heart set auto automatically, right? Those that aren't saved, the, how you want ministry to be conducted, how you're going to speak to married couples, your children. You're going to have a way about the way you're, you're writing. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, what I want to look at, and I'm going to read through some of the verses here, actually in verse 1. But what we're going to see is what has to do with relationships because we're going to see that it's insightful. If we're choosing friends, guarding ourselves from certain types of friends and relationships, and being able to recover from certain relationships. But let me actually read through here. I'll need my glasses because, well, they're not, eyes aren't getting any better. I ain't getting any younger. Okay, so I want to read just to read up to where we're going to go. So let me just read along with me here. First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God of, Je of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. There's his heart. He knows what his situation. He knows his end is there. And time... And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is writing some serious stuff here. When we read these, 
always keep in mind Paul's situation. I'm going to lose. I'm going to be put to death. That's as if we had some, a disease and realized, I'm going to die. I've just been given so much time. Or maybe I haven't even been given time. It can happen any minute. Give me a pen. Give me a paper or my phone and let me start texting. Let me start writing. Let me start typing something up. Because I have things to say that I won't be able to say after I die. So we look at verses 1 and 2. He's saying, I charge you. Be ready in and out of season, Paul is writing. There's an urgency when it comes to ministry that he's concerned about. To remain faithful, remain grounded, remain bold and steadfast is what Paul is getting, trying to get across. In verses 3 and 4, in the midst of resistance of the truth, people will not endure sound teaching. Be prepared that people are not going to endure it. You're going to stand out. Don't be discouraged. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. In verse 5, he's saying, nevertheless, even all this resistance to truth, you stay the course. You stay the course. In verse 6, we see him emphasizing something that's pretty heartfelt for him, his situation. As for me, well, I can be put to death any moment is what he's thinking. He says, my departure. That word departure means an unloosing, to undo again, to set sail. You see, it wasn't like, that's it, I'm done and I won't exist anymore. It's like, I'm moving on. It's like I'm, I'm removing up my, my, my tent, I'm taking it down to go be set up, to set up somewhere else. He's moving on to heaven. So he knows where he's going. We want to know where we're going. And that comes with following Christ. And we can have this kind of understanding. It's an unloosing, to undo again. Hey, we're in this world. We've set up camp. And now it's time to break camp. Because it's going to be time to be moving on. And he knows this. In verse 7, he points out that this is how I lived my life. I fought the good fight. He fought it. He lived it in victory. Even through all this mess. And we can look at Paul and think, I need to live in victory even in all this mess that I'm living in, even the things that keep, um, I, I turn a corner and now another thing. I thought I just fixed this and now the next. But when we have the heart set that when we're done here, we're going to break down our camp and move on, it changes things, especially if we have right people in our lives. And that's why I want to focus on relationships today because we'll see in verses 9, Paul begins to write something and it's, it has to do with, uh, it, it's personal instruction. There's, he starts to write from the heart. He's talking about ministry, but then he goes on, and we're going to go verse by verse on these next verses here, a handful of verses. But you'll see in some of your subtitles, it might say uh, personal instruction, beginning at verse 9. It might say the abandoned apostle, because that is another place where his heart is. Death is imminent. I need to write these things. I need to let Timothy know certain things. And then there's some personal things that he shares. And this is where we get a glimpse of Paul's heart in this situation. So we're going to see, regarding relationships, the kind, and that is, you'll find it helpful here, is the kind to have and the kind not to have. Help in choosing friends how to guard from certain types of friends, and how to deal with betrayal. 
This, I believe, would be very helpful for us, these next few verses. So let's move on to 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. By the way, this is water. I was, I think twice today someone said, hey, got your coffee ready, huh? I said, <laughs> I said no, I have actually I had my, co- my caffeine earlier today, but that's just water because I'm speaking. Okay, 2 Timothy 4, 9. Okay, so Timothy, he's saying, do your best to come to me. Okay, that's, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, who's gone through so much, who has been an ambassador, a radical ambassador for Christ, an apostle. Paul is desiring fellowship. He's in need of companionship, the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we think of people, pastors, preachers, evangelists, and they got together because, well, they're filled with the Spirit. But they also can be lonely, abandoned, need of fellowship. Absolutely, we all need fellowship. And so here he's saying to Timothy, to Timothy, do your best to come to me. You see, the reality is I think we all have a little bit of an introvert in us, right? Maybe some of us more than others. And But there's certain times when we do. I mean, sometimes we just want to be alone. We want to enjoy that cup of coffee. We want that time to just to meditate on the Word. And, uh, and, but you know what, though? The bottom line is th- that's good for you. Time with the Lord, time alone. You know, I love it, but we need fellowship. We should love fellowship. Paul is emphasizing something here. When we see this, thinking of his heart and his situation, do your best to come to me. He wants fellowship. He needs companionship. Do your best. That word is spudadzo in the Greek. And it means to hasten, make haste, endeavor, give diligence. Get over here, Timothy. Come to me. We might find ourselves in life and probably already have in situations where I need it. I need someone. I just need someone to listen to me or someone to direct me or help me. Just sit with me. Just bear my burden with me. And Paul is in a situation where he needs fellowship. You see, fellowship is a crucial component, as we all know, to our walks. When we start eliminating that, we're eliminating, uh, we're eliminating a part of, of an experience of the Lord, of loving one another, of being obedient to the Lord. Do your best, he's saying. And that word, do your best, be diligent, that's also found in 2 Timothy. When in, in 2.15, when Paul writes, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. So when he's saying be diligent to present yourself, to be approved by God, that's serious. I think we can agree with that. So he's also saying do your best, be diligent to come to me. Paul is in need. There's no, there's no shame in being in need. We can, you know, we, you try to handle everything on your own. How many of us have tried to handle issues on our own? And we fall on our face. We feel as though nothing's going to happen. Sometimes we even alone as in without God. And we find ourselves in difficult situations. But looking at Paul, we know he knows where he's going. But he's saying, I need fellowship. I need a visitor. So we need to remain faithful. We need to be committed and surrendered as believers to remain in fellowship. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 23 says this, and you're all familiar with this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
For he who, ha- who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, just before coming up here, I've had like at least three brothers pull me aside and pray so that the Lord's will would be done as, as the word is preached, as we receive the word. And, you know, and that, that's powerful to have someone come alongside of you and, and pray, to have someone come alongside of you and be your friend. That is powerful. We can't minimize uh, the, the fellowshipping. Uh, without wavering, uh, cleanace is that word, not inclining, firm, unmoved. So without wavering, don't be moved, don't be moving, don't be inclining, don't, you know, be firm in our faith. Be firm, hold fast. Hold fast, that word is kateko, and it means to keep secure or hold, uh, uh, head the ship. Head the ship in the right direction, right? Hold back, retain, retain from going away. In other words, hold the course, stay the course. And so when we see the author of Hebrews, he's, what, what's being said is don't sway, don't move around, stay on track, stay on course. You see, if we're not consistent in our fellowship, if we're not consistent in serving God, if we're not consistent in our walks, we will stray. We can drift. If you do we have um, any, what are they called, boaters? What do you guys, when you on a boat, anybody? Fishermen maybe? Ever get lost on a boat? I have, <laughs> and I was heading the ship. And not only was I heading, well, it wasn't a ship. It was a little boat. It wasn't a rowboat, but it had a motor. It was fast, too. Ask Jonathan, because I let him go for it for a while. <laughs> but uh, I was heading the ship, so, so to speak. But you know what the, the crazy thing was? We were out in uh, Lake Mead, Carol and, and the kids. And we rented one of these boats, and it was a, one of the faster boats, not one of the whatever. And it go, went fast. So we were enjoying it out in Lake Mead with the kids. And, and like I said, that thing goes fast. And it was fun. You make the little, you know, go in a circle and jump your things, whatever. So I'm being irresponsible, basically. And I was being distracted by all the fun. Hey, Jonathan, check this out. Look how fast it goes. Come here. The problem was I was heading that ship. I was given a map because if you've been to Lake Mead, you know the water levels have gone down, right? So there's a lot of dangerous areas where you could run up on rocks or whatever it is underneath that are, are exposed now. Or they're there, they're not exposed. But I was distracted by fun, and I was heading that ship. And the, serious, the crazy thing was we got lost. We were just going and going. That lake is so big. And that we had to flag someone down to help us find where we are and to get us back. And they did, and we got back. Later, I looked back. I'm going to know, where, I'm, where was I? So I bring out the map, and I'm checking out where I was, and I figured out what happened. The problem was, I'm heading the ship, and I have my family in that boat. And I got my family lost. And when I looked at that map, I put them in extreme danger. I realized that I went in the area that they circled and said, don't go here. Literally, because I could run up on rocks that are underneath, just underneath the water. And I made it. We survived and nothing happened. But that's the picture that we can have here is, you know, head the ship and stay right. Stay on course. Because we can actually lead our entire family astray by our behavior, by our example, our leadership. So there is something to be said about um, fellowship and the fact that we need to stay the course. Verse 25 of Hebrews 10 says, not forsaking, 
for our own assembling as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is a crucial important for our walks. Fellowship is crucial. We see it with Paul. And therefore, friends or relationships are crucial when it comes to who we are fellowshipping with. Look at verse uh, 10. Second, uh, Second Timothy 4.10. Here we move on, and Paul writes, For Demas, for Demas in love with this present world has departed me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. That's actually Dalmatia. Um, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. So here we see something going on with someone. Someone who was a friend, a former co-worker with Paul. We see he, he goes from Timothy, and now he's going over to, to Demas. In other words, he's going from faithful to unfaithful. And these are the people that are in his life, and this is a time in his life where he needs friends. He needs these relationships to remain strong. But he points out about Demas from faithful, basically, to unfaithful, as he goes in his letter here. It says Demas was in love with, in love with, is in love with this present world. And it means to be fond of. It means to enjoy socializing with. You see, Paul had a friend who was a fellow worker. Something went on in Demas's life. We don't have all the details, whether he went back to whatever he was doing or something new came up in his life. But he enjoyed more fellowshipping with the world than here. And when we see that, that can happen to us, with, with, uh, um, like Demas. It says he was deserted. He has deserted me. And that word means to utterly abandon, to leave someone helpless. You see, they're in the ministry together. So when you're in the ministry together, you rely on each other. And when that person went away and, and was uh, found it more enjoyable to be fellowshipping with the world, he was abandoned and left alone. That teamwork. That teamwork was affected. And so even more so, it's like, wow, I lost my friend, but you know what? We were about the ministry. You know, I love, I love uh, serving with my wife. When we, whether it's counseling, talking, whatever we're doing in ministry, I love it. But to see something like that break, yeah, that would be sad to lose my wife. But the ministry that we're able to accomplish would be effective and, effective, and that would be heartbreaking as well. So here we have Demas in love, or he's more fond, socializing with the world. Paul, he left Paul hanging at a time of need. And in this letter, Paul takes the time to mention it. For Demas, in love with this present world, comma, has deserted me. He points something out. That's the type of friend we have to be careful of. That's the kind of friend that we don't want to become because we can. We need to avoid becoming a Demas. And Paul takes the time to point it out. He forfeited his friendship with Paul. Ultimately forfeited his friendship with the Lord. Demas did. Now, don't raise your hand, but is there anyone here don't raise your hand, who believes that you cannot become a Demas or that you will not become a Demas? You know, that's, that's a serious question because some people could go through life like, oh no, I'm fine, I'm good, and I'm not going to ever turn and leave the Lord. Well, start 
getting off course and you will drift and you will find and someday you might even find yourself to a place where how did I get here? How did I lead my family in Lake Mead? How did I get there? I was distracted by the fun. I was distracted and people can become distracted by the world and become a Demas. So it's important to know that we need the Lord. We need each other. We need to continue and to stay the course. But to say that, now it's one thing to say, I, I, I will not go back. I, I, I am committed to not go back. Yeah, great. I refuse to return to the world. Great. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be kept, that you will keep the Lord at the forefront of your heart. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, a pig returning to the mire and, uh, you know, a dog returning to its vomit. It can take place. And when someone falls away, they usually go back to what they were. I recall way early on in my walk with, uh, in, as a believer with Carolyn, when they were praying in my studies and the understanding of, of, of a walk with Christianity and what it means and different things, um, we were praying, and I remember specifically saying, Lord, and Lord, um, you know, keep me from temptation. Keep me from, you know, basically the things of becoming whatever it was that I, I was. And, uh, but I had no desire of it at all. I was just saying, Lord, keep me. Guard me from the world. No, no temptations, no distractions, but that was my prayer at that moment. When we finished praying, Carol looked at me and said, are you okay? And she asked that because she thought, is there something going on? Are you being tempted? Is it, what, what the deal is? And I said, no, you know, it's, I just have realized, I know the reality that anyone can go back without the Lord. We need the Lord to hold the course. So let's move on to uh, verse 11. Verse 11, is, right here it says, Luke alone is with me and Mark and get Mark, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. So now it's interesting here, Luke alone is with me. Paul has someone and it's Luke, Luke the physician, probably one of the best guys to have right now in the situation that he's in, that he finds himself, the physician. So it's kind of funny, it could be humorous if you look at that and imagine Luke getting a hold of this letter and saying, Luke alone is with me, get Mark, bring him, he's useful. It's like, uh, you know, Luke could be saying like, hey, wait a minute, what am I, chopped liver? You know, I'm here by your side. But it's nothing like that. He's not putting down uh, Luke. He's just saying, right now, all I have is Luke. Not all I have, that, that's all I have and I need more. I have Luke, just so you know, but there's no one else. I need fellowship, Paul is saying. We need fellowship and we need to relate to Paul and, real, and never find ourselves so distracted by the world that we realize, where are all my friends? Why have I drawn myself away from church? We need to remain and be useful. But Luke alone is with him. And that's a, a great thing. That's not a bad thing. It's not a negative statement. It's, uh, it, he is definitely useful. After all, he is a physician. But he brings up Mark. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. Now, with Mark... Mark had a, a specific benefit, as we see. He's, being, he's useful. If you look in Acts 15, you see there was a, um, there was a conflict. There was a, a situation that took place between Paul um, and, and Mark, and, and Barnabas is there, and they parted ways. So Paul and Mark, they parted ways. There was a conflict that caused them to go separate ways. Barnabas takes uh, Mark 
And, but here we see that they are reconciled. The joy of reconciling with the brethren. It's necessary, it's important to not, oh, well, I have that conflict with that brother, whatever, and then leave it that way. When you together can be so useful. But to write someone off, to write off a brother. And so here we had a situation, but here the beauty is they're reconciled to the point where Paul is in prison, in a dungeon, I need fellowship. I um, come to me, do everything you can, be diligent. I have Luke and get Mark. He's very useful to me. Useful, that you kratos, you kratos is the word, and it means profitable. Easy to make use of. In other words, he's easy to work with. From the conflict, from conflict, it became easy to work with. You know, do we know our brothers and, and sisters here in the fellowship enough to be easy to work with? The bottom line is, hey, number one, be easy to work with. You know, when it comes to ministry, ministry already, you need to have tough skin. So you know what? Be easy to work with. Be easy uh, like Mark. And so how beautiful to, that I see that they reconciled to the point where he, they recognized it was, they worked well together. So... Everyone in our lives has a benefit. Maybe sometimes you need to find it. Maybe sometimes you need to focus on it. Maybe we need to take more time with our friends to understand what it exactly is. Um, once I, I did a, a message at a men's retreat, and I heard a pastor mention something about a, a few um, uh, brothers, Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. And I mentioned how we, use, we could use each one of those persons in our lives. The importance for us men to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. A Barnabas specifically because he's the guy who will tell you like it is. He's the one that will tell you to your face that you're blowing it. He's the guy that you're not going to be all offended because he's going to say, Steve, listen, bro, I, I'm, I just want to say I love you, but, and they'll be able to tell me. And I will, I will embrace it because, after all, he loves me and he's, he's just helping me. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, that, how important it is to have Barnabases in our lives. It's important to find that person that is very useful to you, like a Barnabas. But when you're a Barnabas, or if you have a Barnabas, be easy with each other. Amen? <laughs> be gentle with one another when you're helping out each other. Galatians 6, 1 says it this way, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be, all, you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So restore a brother. And when you restore someone, it's with love. You might say, well, I meant that in love when I said you're being a jerk. Maybe not use the word jerk. <laughs> Say you're being, you know, uh, difficult as opposed to. But restoring someone, that word is cartartizo. And it means to, it's referred to oftentimes as resetting a broken bone. It also is referred to in the scriptures as mending nets, to mend something, to fix something. So when somebody is broken, someone is a mess, someone is torn to pieces, you want to mend them together. You want to bring them back to whole. And to do that, you want, you want to be careful. If someone has a broken leg, you don't just manhandle them and, and, and drag them somewhere. You, you carefully 
uh, isolate the issue and whatever it is, and, and you know, you, uh, you just, um, you, you care for that person. So in being a, a Barnabas, is, it, it's important to have them in your life. Um, sorry. So a true friend. It's important to see what Paul is, is dealing with, the type of friends that he has, the types that he's rediscovered, the kind that we can't allow in our lives, the, the ones that we have to be uh, leery about. So um, true friends can and should help avoid uh, us making wrong decisions. They should be building us up, counsel us with godly biblical uh, direction and instruction. They need to be there to help us get through tough times, to provide accountability. That's really a Barnabas, that guy that's just going to be there for you. You know, you want to be gentle. You want to be care, uh, uh, you know, careful. Um, you don't want to be like the friend of two friends when they were messing around and one ends up with a, a, an injury and he's bleeding, and he's bleeding out. And so his other friend who cares and loves him gets out the first aid book, and he looks at it, and he reads, and it says, uh, apply pressure. So he turns to his friend and says, uh, if you don't stop bleeding right away, you're going to die. <laughs> Not that kind of pressure. So he meant pressure on the wound. And so sometimes we could say, I want to help that person, and all you say is, well, you know, if you don't, instead of helping them, and helping them stop the bleed, stop the pain, and, uh, and not be like that friend. That's the kind of Barnabas you want to be. So uh, when you think of that, in your life, do you have a Barnabas in your life? Who is your Barnabas? Interesting how all the married men kind of went like this to their wives. I saw you guys. I saw you. <laughs> but you know what? It's true. Hey, is, is your wife should be a Barnabas. That's the person that knows you best. And that, that, that should know all about you and should help you. Be the first one to help you. And in, in, the, in the right way, of course, like I just described. So we need to remain, as Barnabas, of course, um, humble, teachable, appreciative when you receive instruction, when you receive, receive uh, correction. Because look at Galatians 4, 15 and, and 16. I like the way... The New Living Translation place puts it, where is, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? You see, when someone loves you and if they're gentle and they're helping you, don't turn on them. Realize that there's love, that they care, they want to help. You say, hey, what happened? I, I thought we were buddies. Why are you being so offensive? Well, we can, it's awkward. It's tough when you're being corrected in anything. So, but we have to be humble, teachable, appreciative. Otherwise, you won't have any Barnabases in your life. You'll have all the guys that tell you all the good things and, and don't point out anything that'll help you. And that's not the way to live. Well, am I your enemy? Have I become your enemy? In other words, that word is hated, hostile, an adversary. Are we not, are we like, we're talking truth and now we have a problem is what's being said in this verse. So when I say this, um, you know, we want to be friends that encourage, build up, help each other, help one another. And you know what? In 1 Timothy 4.12, look what Paul writes to Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. 
Show yourself an example of those who believe. So Paul is writing to Timothy and he's, he's just, he's helping him and saying, listen, don't worry about your age. Don't worry about what's going to take place and, and who's going to listen to you or what have you. And so we see that when I'm looking at being a Barnabas, being a, a friend, being a, being a true brother, that encourager, someone who's going to build up your brother, is don't be, don't allow the enemy to discourage you, regardless of the situation. Well, I'm his younger brother, or I'm his, you know, uncle, or whatever the case might be. I don't really talk to him much, but I know, I think he'll receive it from me. Then don't hold back and encourage one another. You know, I, I recall, when I think of this verse, <clears throat> I think of back, way back. I remember when I was um, appointed uh, as an elder. And I asked Carol the other day, how old was I? And I was 32, right, Carol? 32. And I remember specifically my very first counseling appointment to counsel a couple. And at that moment, I, I, the, the hour was coming up. It was, you know, evening time, I think. And the hour was coming up, and I found myself praying and saying, who am I to talk? To, uh, this, these people are, this person's older than me. Uh, is he going to receive from me? And I was so caught up. I was really putting the pressure on myself. Am I too young? Who am I to speak to this person? And I recall about probably at the last five minutes, literally on my knees praying in my office at home uh, before they arrived, the Lord just revealing to me, it's not you, Steve. It's not you. You share my word. You share these principles. That's what it's all about. And that helped me realize, you know, I, we get in the way. We often get in the way of the, the Lord's work, of what he wants to do, because we overthink it. And, and, and when I see this, and I see this verse, don't let your youthfulness get in the way. On the contrary, what an impact it has when you're young and you're walking in purity, when you're walking with a strong faith. What an impact it has to the world. You know, um, this, I was, uh, we went, Carol and I were out eating the other day, and I, I remember I opened the door for Carol, and it was this mother and her, her two kids, and I opened and let them go in as well. And they were thankful, thankful. And the young boy, I don't know, maybe he was 12, maybe 12. There was just, and I don't know if he was a believer or not, but there was just something very respectful. The eye contact that he gave me and thanked me I just got this impression, like, how oh, impressive. I don't see young boys this, this, at this age that respectful or, or that attentive, that appreciative, and it made an impact. And that's just him being cordial. But imagine in the world, when, in this world, when we are, um, when you're young and you're being an example. To your peers, yes, but even more so. You know, I'll look at young people walking in, in the faith, and now at my old age, and I look at them young, I think, wow, praise the Lord, man. I wish somebody would have talked to me about the Lord in a way. I wish I was saved at your age to live the life that you're living right now. You're guarding yourself from so many woes in life. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. So I want to encourage you young people. Stand fast. Chad was talking about what he's got going on. Take advantage of that. You are in the best place in your life if you have the Lord. You're going to be guarded from all this, the corruption of this world. You're going to guard yourself from relationships that you should have, you have no business being in. Listen to what Paul had to say there. Listen. Let's move on. 2 Timothy 4.12. 2 Timothy 4.12. Tysicus. 
Tysicus, I have sent to Boise, Idaho. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. That's, uh, I was sent to Ephesus. <laughs> that's, that's it. You know what stands out to me is this. The reason is basically he's sending Tysicus on ministry. And you know what? That, and I couldn't help but think of this, you know, the California exodus, all in Boise, Idaho, everywhere else. But Tysicus, I have sent to Ephesus. He's out. He's being sent out to ministry. Wow, that's powerful. That's a great thing. And so here Paul is in this, in this hurt, abandonment. He's talking about this. Come and see me. I have Luke. Send the guy who I know is useful. I, I've reconnected with. And Tysicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Basically, he's out on ministry. You know, sometimes we, it's heartbreaking when we see people leave to specifically Boise, Idaho, because that's where they all seem to be going. But we need to understand. We need to understand that. Receive it. Rejoice for them. Rejoice with them. And embrace it. Because uh, the word is, is, continues to be spread. We have people that are like-minded in other places. It's a be- beautiful thing, really. Um, but uh, it is heartbreaking when we see people, you know, up and leave wherever they go. Um, but there, Tysicus, he points out, you know what, Tysicus, I sent to Ephesus. I'm alone. I'm, I'm abandoned. I have Luke. Send, come quickly um, and, and, and bring the guy who I've reconnected with. And, and Tysicus, while I've sent him on ministry, there's joy there. Life might be, obviously, not great for him, but he's saying he's re- reflecting on Tysicus. And Tysicus, man, he's out there in ministry. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. This is powerful right here. Because if we're thinking about the friends we have in our lives, the relationships we, we want to make, that girl that you want to ask out for a date, the, the girl that you're courting and you're about to pop the question, and making sure you're making the right decisions of people that you're allowing in your life. When we look at this, I think it speaks volumes because of the value or the faithfulness, the necessity of the word in our lives and in our decisions in life. And the reason why I bring that out is he's in prison and look what he's asking for. Well, his cloak. It's cold. It's a dungeon. He's got to, he wants to stay warm. Hey, bring something for me. It's a little you know, chilly in here. So he knew the value and the comforts, of course, the conveniences he had, uh, all the provisions he needs. But he also knew the value of the word of God. Because he's, he asked for the books. Books, he's probably, you know, he, what, he's, what we see here is a, a, a combination of things. The Jewish scriptures, possibly his own writings, maybe legal paperwork, um, all this stuff for his studying. So he wants his books. He was reading books. It's okay to read books. It's not saying, I, I need the book of Psalms. He's saying, I need books. Bring the books that I have. There's nothing wrong with reading books and gleaning from people that have wisdom and what have you. He's a, he's a student. He's a perpetual student. Look what he's, he says here, though. He, bring those things. Bring my books. I want to study. I'm going to die, but I want to study. Life is getting tough for me right now. I don't have time to read the Bible. Imagine that. Imagine, ah, oh, life is just too tough. Uh, okay, put that study aside. I just need to, I just need to pray. Instead of studying, there's a value in studying. And there's a greater value when we look at, when he says, and above all, the parchments. Above all the parchments, the scriptures. He wants the scriptures. Because that is a source that he will find comforting, strength, wisdom, and so will we in whatever we're dealing with. Above all, 
Malista is that word. It means, and you'll see it in some of your Bibles, most of all, or especially, or chiefly, the parchments. He needs the word. We need the word. We need the word of God to help us define our friends, to define our walks, to define the mystery of the trials that we're going through, to be able to have the power, the encouragement, the wisdom to go through certain trials. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul wrote this. And this is Paul, again, when we read this scripture, we think, oh yeah, that's a powerful scripture. But think of the fact that he's saying, I need to let Timothy know this. I'm going to die, and i got to get it to him. He needs to know this. It's, it's, it's vital for his life. 2 Timothy 3.15, And how, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped. You see, he knows the importance of the scriptures. And that's why he has it in 2 Timothy. He needs to make sure, above all things right here, the scriptures. It's, it's important for teaching, reproof. You're a young preacher. You're a young pastor. You need to know this, and you need to stay the course. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up means uh, to hit, hide or treasure in my heart. I've buried it. You know, you get a treasure. I mean, even in your homes, you lock your doors and everything, but pretty much all of us have safes, and we put the valuables in there. We put certain things away. We bury them. We hide them. We keep them. We want to not let anyone else have them. Well, with the scripture, we bury it. We hide it. We put it. We lock it away. But we want everyone to have it. We share it. But you need to bury it and treasure it in your heart so that you don't lose it. So he knows the value of the word. Matthew 4.4, it says, But he answered, Jesus, he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Job 23.12, it says, I have, departed from, uh, I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than my daily food. So the value of the word of God. The value of the word of God. Now here's some scriptures that I want to share with you of, that have to do with, if you're taking notes, you can jot these down uh, when it comes to friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Amplified Version says it this way, and I like it because it points out something. Uh, the man of too many friends chosen indiscriminately will be broken in pieces and come to ruin. But there is a true loving friend who is reliable and sticks closer than a brother. Remember years ago as a young guy, and I think I've shared this before, a little guy, and my father, well, I wasn't that young because I was getting in trouble. I was getting in a lot of trouble in junior high. And he, my mom called in the big guns, and my dad came because they weren't living there. And he came and sat me down. And he was talking to me, and he said, one of the things he mentioned was, you know what, I'm telling you, uh, Steve, and man, when he would say my name, Man, he would tremble. He'd say, you know, I'm telling you, Steve, um, you know what? The more friends you have, the more trouble you're going to get into. I didn't know what he meant. I mean, I knew what he meant by that, and it's very true, very good principle. My, my, I, my grandfather, I understand, was a Christian man, and I believe shared a lot of Scripture with my father, and I've never got it from my father, nor did he um, live it to the last week of his life, got saved. Um, but uh, I remember that advice, and then I remember running across this verse years and years later as a believer and thinking, I bet that's where my dad got that 
I bet that's what he was sharing with me, is, uh, you know, the man of too many friends chosen indiscriminately is going to mess you up. So when we choose our friends, I don't want to go out there and choose, I know he's a little bit like a Demas, but I'm going to have a bunch of Demases around me, and I'm going to convert them, and we're all going to hang out. Yeah, look, it's trouble, right? You're, get, you're setting yourself up for failure. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's specifically speaking of through discussion. That's why men's discipleship is so cool. We, we get in the scriptures and we discuss things and we encourage each other and we're sharpening one another by our discussion. So if you're available Tuesday, uh, 6.30 upstairs, uh, men's discipleship. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's a classic. That's a popular one that everyone hears now and then. Bad company ruins. That word means ruins. It corrupts. It destroys good morals. You know, for, for those of you, and I wasn't, but for those of you that have children or that are young and your parents, you're blessed to have parents, believers that have been feeding you the word, teaching you the word, developing and strengthening good morals, someone can come along and destroy that. They can ruin all that prayerful work that your parents lovingly did for you by you just simply choosing that guy or to date that girl and ruin everything that your parents had prayed for and the Lord desired for you and you just throw it to the wayside. Guard yourself from people this way. You know, some people could, might be saying, why is my son changing? My daughter is changing. Well, number one, probably a teenager. But number two, or possibly, is that have you checked out their friends? Who are their friends? It'll speak volumes of what's going on in their life. You might see like, you might one day talk to your child or something, find out who their friends are, and oh, now I see what's going on. That's mimicking that group that he or she's hanging out with. So we need to see what the scriptures say, value it like Paul, and apply it to how we choose friends, how we choose companions, how we choose a spouse. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So these are some solid principles that I, I want you guys to, to know, to write down, to keep in your hearts, you, especially young people. Young people, the importance of choosing the right friends, choosing that person, again, that you're going to date, you're going to marry, or you envision, or whatever it might be. And so the reason why I point out the young people is because us old people, you know, we've been down that road, that road, and it's, it's, it's a dead end. And we just, nothing, doesn't, uh, no temptation, no desire. We know what to avoid already because we've been maybe through the wrong paths. But for the young person that might be distracted by the things of the world can find themselves going after the wrong relationships. That's why I emphasize for the young people. Um, Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. New Living Translation, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You know, that, that, that passage is interesting because, you know what, um, that has actually more to do with, and I won't get into it today because we're running short on time, relationships, marriage relationships of who you chose and who you're going to choose and who you're married to is how you deal with conflict. How you deal with conflict. That passage right here, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates. Dwelling on it, almost like, in other words, 
bringing it up, repeating it over when you thought you moved on from something. You ever have a friend and, and they bring up, yeah, well, remember that? I thought we're past that. Or maybe your spouse. And, that's, and, and the history comes up when it's unnecessary. I'm not talking about a cycle, a pattern, or something repetitive, wrong behavior. But when someone just won't let something go and you thought you moved on, choosing people is so important who you allow in your lives. Look at verse 14. 2 Timothy verse 14. Now let's move along here. Um, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now look, there's Paul writing this letter. Maybe this might be my last letter. I got to get these things out to Timothy. And here's where he got personal and all these things. And he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. Look, I had a deal with Alexander, and I, that issue, it's, it's horrible. The Lord's going to take care of him. The Lord's going to repay that guy. But you watch out. Watch out for him. I look at this, and I think Paul can be saying this, or this is how I want it to be understood for all of us. Watch out. Watch out for those people that can cause great harm in your life. Guard yourself. You know, if you've ever had great harm in your life and, or someone has had great harm in their life and they tell you, you know, watch out for people like this. Watch out for this. Or watch out for this behavior. I don't need to give you the names of all the people that have wronged me, but I can tell you what they did and what kind of things to avoid. And, and this is what I see Paul saying here. Look, man, Coppersmith did some great harm. He opposed us. I don't know exactly. He could be talking about um, Alexander who shipwrecked his faith um, earlier on, he writes to Timothy, um, shipwrecked his faith. Maybe uh, Alexander went back to the, like a Demas. Not sure, but I do know this. It's very possible that he opposed a, our message is that perhaps Alexander testified against Paul. Perhaps he went against Paul and did great harm, and here I am, I'm going to lose this case. He really did me wrong. But you know what? The Lord will repay him. He turns it over to the Lord, not like, I'm going to get that guy. Or you know what? Go, I want you to go and do this to him. Or you know what? Have this happen to him. Or call up my old friends and have something taken care of. As opposed to all that, he's saying the Lord is going to repay him. The Lord's going to, but you, just you watch out. I don't want this to happen to you. That's a brother. That's a friend. That's someone who cares. He strongly opposed that message or their message, but he did him great harm. And you know, we could find that someone does us great harm. Many of us have had great harm, and maybe by someone you did not expect it, expect it from, and you're broken, and you carry that, and we have to guard ourselves that we don't carry it as a, as a, a bitterness of sort, uh, where we have revenge in our minds. Pro, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So the Lord says that. You have that to take to the bank. It's not yours to carry. It's not yours to uh, avenge. It's not yours. Leave it to the Lord. Otherwise, you will have a life that will have less victory, less joy, less progress, because you're carrying 
the anger, the hurt, the wrong, the great harm that has been done to you. For another time, I'll share how we, I guess, uh, yeah, for another time, I'll share some of the things that uh, um, how we, not how we deal with it, but how the Lord deals with it, because it's more of a theological lesson, if you will. But the Lord handles these things. If someone's done you wrong, you've done everything to reconcile, there's not more you can do. And don't carry the burden, don't, don't, don't be angry, don't let a root of bitterness uh, in your heart, because it's, it's destructive. It's destructive to you, physically, spiritually, but it's also destructive to those around you, if you're just not the same anymore. If you're just holding this bitterness and your marriage suffers because, well, I was done wrong and, and you don't understand or whatever it could be, leave it to the Lord. Turn it to God. And, uh, and uh, you know what? Proverbs 20, 22 says this. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Give it to the Lord and you will find joy. You will find peace in the midst of hurt, anger, a broken heart. Um, but that word here, which says, I will not pay evil, do not say, it's amar. And it means to, not to even think. Don't say it in your heart. Because you might say like, oh, it's okay. I, the Lord will take care of that. You know, I, I turn it over to the Lord. And inside your heart is different. Sincerely from the heart, turn it over to the Lord. Um, Friendships. Let me point something out here as we move along. John 15 speaks of a friend, and one of the songs that we sang referred to Jesus and the friendship. Let me read this to you. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is Jesus basically defining friendship. Okay, who are my friends? Who, is, who are my great friends? Well, this word friends is philos. It means a loved one. Friendships, it is, it's based on love. Friendship is based on love. It operates by love. Look at verse 15. Well, it's on the wall. Uh, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's a true friend. A friend that knows all about you. A true friend is someone who knows all about you and likes you still. <laughs> right? Jesus knows all about us. Right? And your friends, that's the kind of friendships we have. You know, I used to think this years ago. Years ago, I would see things, I don't know, bumper stickers, T-shirts, whatever, and it says, my wife, I married my best friend, and my wife's my best friend. I used to think that was like the corniest thing. See, my wife's my, not my best friend. She's my friend, yeah, but, and I thought it was corny. And, and you know, but when you look at the, the biblical description of a friend, Jesus puts it right here. I've called you friends. All things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know everything. I haven't held anything back from you. You see, our wives, yes, are our best friends, or they should be. And if they're not, you need to make her your best friend. You need to make him your best friend, where they know everything about you. Because that is the person closest to you. The Lord knows everything about you. Does our spouse, is your spouse your best friend? And when, when I think of this, I'm like, well, you know what? My wife knows everything about me. I know everything about her. We are best friends. 
And so that's a true friendship. Someone that you can tell. You know, there's certain people you probably know. Not, I'm not speaking of any particular names. <laughs> what I mean is that type of person where it's like, I really probably shouldn't tell them everything. Because they might go talk. They might not handle it. Or I don't know them that well. That's understandable. Okay, not putting them down. Maybe you don't know them that well. But those that are close to you, you tell them everything. My heart's broken. This took place. I can't believe I'm feeling this way. I, I almost want to, and all these things. That's a true friend that you have those. Do we have those in our lives? Or do we have superficial friends who we put up a front? I'm cool. You're cool. All right, we're all cool. Or is it, I'm broken. I'm broken too, man. Well, let's, you know, pray. That's friendship, man. That's, Paul is looking at these, all these situations being um, abandoned. He's got one there. He's asking one to do everything you can to get here. You know, um, you know, it's interesting here is, I'm going to read this verse to you, Matthew 26, verse 49. Jesus um, is, being, um, is being arrested. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, you come do what you have come for. Then they had laid hands on him and seized him. You see, Jesus didn't call him by name. He didn't say Judas. He said friend. But he didn't use that same friend that he used, that we see in, in John. That same word. He used a different a word, heteros. And it means a companion, an expression of familiarity. I know who you are, Judas. Do what you're going to do. It's generally spoken of someone whose name you don't know. But it's also between people where a, a, a relationship has been spurned or disregarded. There was a separation there that took place. And that's not to say that he wasn't loved. He didn't love Judas. But it's to say that the friendship has been tarnished. It has been affected. And so a true friend we want is at John 15. We want that kind of friendship with the Lord. Not the other friendship that what we see where Judas is referred to as I, I knew you. I used to know you as a friend. 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Speaking of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, verse 16. At my first defense, defense no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. They all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. What is he teaching Timothy here? The same thing we need to learn. I've been wronged. Give it to the Lord. Move on. Fulfill your ministry. Don't get anchored by bitterness and anger and pain and hurts. Those people in your life, if you have people that are hurting you and angering you and causing you to be anchored, then a separation needs to take place so that you can fulfill your ministry, so that you can build and strengthen your walk with the Lord. So we don't see him letting bitterness take place. He's not responding in the flesh. He's responding in the spirit. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what we see Paul doing is he's got friends and he's been deserted. He's been abandoned. And even through all this, here he's able to say, I, they've all deserted me. Because again, if he's found guilty and everybody pretty much knew he's going to be found guilty, what, what's that going to do to me? 
They're going to come after me as a conspirator. They're going to come back to me. I'm guilty by association. And But he, look at his heart, man. They deserted me, but may not be held against them. He understands. And, and, and the Lord understands our hearts. Look at this. Um, Acts 7.60. We see uh, Stephen. It says, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold it, the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. But Jesus, in Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots and divide his garments. So, you know, when I see this, I see, wow, I see something taking place radically with uh, Paul, that they may not be charged against them. Second, uh, 4.17, but the Lord, he continues, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. And the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, it, he points out that the Lord stood by him. And the Lord will stand by us when we are brokenhearted, when you're abandoned, when you find out that, that marriage failed, you're divorced, and you can't get by, you can't move on, you're anchored by all the pain. When you realize, you know what, the Lord is going to stand by me, he will stand by you. He will strengthen you. That word stood is parastemi. It means to be beside or be near, stand ready, placed at one's disposal, be at hand. If you're finding yourself abandoned, all alone, the Lord's there. He is ready. He is at hand. He is ready and waiting, ready and waiting to strengthen you. And he goes on to say, so that the message might be fully proclaimed to accomplish or fulfill. In other words, we can stay the course. We have, if, if you're a parent and you're getting caught up by whatever junk is happening and you're, you're, you're not fulfilling your ministry with your children because of the pain and heartbreak or whatever, the Lord will encourage you. The Lord will stand by you. He will see it through. He will see you through this. So that whatever it is in life, whether, uh, whether you're single, in purity, whether you're married, in, in, in faithfulness with your, your marriage, uh, it's faithfulness to the Lord, the Lord is available. He's ready to help us to be successful or consistent, to be the message to be fully proclaimed. Paul was, yes, an evangelist. Paul was getting out the gospel. We are in many ways too. Maybe not on the street, but in our walk, in our example as a parent, example as a brother or a sister. It says he was rescued from the lion's mouth. That word means to be delivered, set free. And, you know, we were... We could be talking about whether the emperor Nero or literally lions. We do know this. He was, he was, he's going to be rescued from extreme danger. And he was. And then look at this. Um, uh, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will rescue me and he'll bring me safely. There's that word rescue, to deliver, to set free. He will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That word safely is sozo. And it means to rescue from danger, destruction. To make well, to heal. You see, ultimately, the Lord is going to rescue us. You might think, well, I'm not being rescued from this trial that I'm in. It hasn't changed. It's, it's getting worse. You see, when we have this eternal perspective, we understand what Paul is saying here. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I'm going to lose this case. Someone did great harm to me. It's over. 
But you know what? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Safely to make well, to preserve. And so this likewise with us. The last part there that says of the verse 18, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will be the Lord should be glorified in everything through our lives, our friendships, our marriages, through our walks, our purity, how we respond to being wronged. The bottom line is, the Lord will rescue us. We have a place in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Stay the course. Guard yourself from certain relationships. Make sure that you are God first and what the word has to say about the decisions that we make when it comes to that. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that scripture gives us. We thank you for the...